Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you just heard that, that is the sound of the bell. If you're here, let's get ready to take attendance. If not, you are late for class. It is another episode of the Draft Act spinoff, Summer School. I am here, as always, with my co-host, Albert Gim. Albert, how are we doing today? Here we go. Um, Corey, we may have, you know, it's, it's funny. We, we're only doing two pods of uh, Summer League, and it's weird. It's like we had a really short summer school semester, but um, I'm ready to go. I'm recording in weird circumstances right now, but whatever it takes, I didn't want to keep our two East Coast guys up too late. So uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to rock. And we have an awesome guest today. So even more excited for that. We sure do. We have Nathan Grubel from the Draft Deeper podcast. You uh, have heard him on this pod before, but he is back for summer school. Uh, Nathan, what's going on, man? How we doing? I'm doing well. Your your creativity with how you guys segment everything and do your podcast still continues to blow me away. The idea of summer school classes in session. That, that's so creative, dude. You guys are awesome. I love you guys. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a fun one. Uh, and I needed to get somebody on this podcast who actually got to attend Summer League in Las Vegas, Nevada this year. So uh, how how was Summer League? How how was your trip getting there? I mean, I want to hear all about it, man. <laughs> my trip getting there was interesting because my flight was actually delayed. I, I was flying out from Pennsylvania. I had a connection that was supposed to be in Miami. And then I guess Hurricane Freddie Boy was touching down in Florida. So my flight got pushed. So I'm like, all right, screw this. I'm just going to fly out the next day. So I flew out Friday morning got right in for the start of the game said one o'clock Pacific time. So I was excited about that, but overall, listen, man, summer league was summer league. Vegas was Vegas. It was just Vegas plus masks. It was really like <laughs> the, the, the only difference, but all of the games, the environment, all of the fans that were there, even Cox pavilion w- was crowded this year. Like I've been out to summer league two other years and I had never seen Cox Pavilion as crowded as I did for some of these games. It was absolutely insane. So the environment, everything was buzzing. I was excited to be out there. Just glad to see live basketball in, in person again, boys. That's that's the main takeaway. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I saw one of the final regular season Nick games, um, but it wasn't full capacity. It was only like 2,000 people or so when, when I got to go. But just being there, seeing the event live, was pretty thrilling. Um, are you a gambling man by any chance when you go out to Vegas or, or, or are you just uh, there for the Here's ball? the thing. I, I, I am a gambling man. However, I didn't spend a ton of money actually gambling on this trip for two reasons. One, when you go out to Vegas, there are way too many enticing food and drink options that you have to partake in, anything unique. And number two, the Ubers and the Lyfts have gotten outrageous at this point. Like I was paying like multiple $40 Ubers to just get from like Thomas and Mac back to, to Harris where I ended up staying. So it was, it was insane. So I, I, I found other ways to spend my money besides the gambling, but you, you boy did gamble a little bit, lost a little money. That's <laughs> fine. We, we, we all do what happens. It's Vegas. Vegas always wins. 
Vegas, the house always wins. That's <laughs> that's the saying. That's the saying for a reason. What was the best uh, game that you saw live? Oh, my God. Best game that I saw live. I'll tell you what. That last Brooklyn game where Cam Thomas went off for 36 Oof. points. Mm. Yeah, Man, that – and I know you want to talk about Cam Thomas today, but it, it, it goes to show that no matter what this man does – he is just going to be a consistent bucket getter in the NBA, no matter what capacity he, he's playing in, whether it's whether it's 10 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game, if Brooklyn actually gives him a little bit more of the leash. It, it's ironic because his stats look exactly the same or, or virtually close to what his college stats look like, his percentages and everything. But actually seeing him do it in person, the confidence, the swagger that he plays with, that made that game so much fun. Um, and then obviously anything I saw from the Atlanta Hawks to Jalen Johnson was like, like absolutely absurd at, at summer league. I, I loved watching him every single second I could. I, I didn't get to see Sharif Cooper live, but that's all right. I watched plenty of the games on TV. Yeah. Um, as far as Cam Thomas goes, you know, one of the funny things people keep saying, like what a perfect situation it is for him because he's going to get to learn from Kyrie and Harden and KD. And at this point, I'm just thinking to myself, like, what are KD, Harden, and Kyrie going to learn from Cam Thomas? Because that dude, he might Ooh. think that he is on their uh, their level by uh, by the time he gets to training camp. Um, we're going to talk about the Hawks boys too. We'll we'll wait on that for mm-hmm. uh, for a minute or so. Um, but I want to kind of start out with who is the summer school valedictorian. Oh. All right. And, you know, oh. with summer school, it's not just the incoming class. We still we have, you know, a bunch of returning guys, too. So who was the one guy, Albert, that stood out most to you this this year as summer school MVP? Look, I think at the end of the day, we all have our biases. We love looking for the things that we believe in and that we agree with. And for me, like Corey, you know, everyone, if you listen to our pod, you know how much I was in love with Tyrese Maxey last year. And watching Tyrese Maxey play at Summer League was an absolute delight for me. Um, I was taking just endless victory laps um, just watching him play and just seeing, you know, just, like I felt like he put on display everything that I know he can do and that like he, he showed progression in areas that I was hoping he would show progression. And so for me, like, one of the kind of overarching themes that I wanted to talk about was I loved the play of a lot of the sophomores this year. Number one, I love, I love the fact that the sophomores finally got to play in summer league because they didn't get to play last year, but, you know, seeing them out there and watching them play was really fun. And for me, I think, I guess for me personally, watching my guy, Tyrese Maxey, of course, he's not a Nick, but a guy that I absolutely loved coming out of college. And, you know, I, I raved to Corey and I was begging that the Knicks would take him in the top 10 last year. Um, Watching him play and perform at that level was really exciting. And then, yeah, him and, and Pritchard. So I guess it's kind of a tie because I, I also love Peyton Pritchard. So I would say a nice tie between Tyrese Maxey and, and uh, Peyton Pritchard for me. Nathan, what about you? So I, I think obviously the biggest winner in, in my eyes was Jalen Green. That, that man was dominant when he did play. No one was able to shake his confidence and how he felt about himself out there. And you knew that he was going to take that Detroit Pistons game personally against Kate, and, and rightfully so. He did. 
he, he really gave it to them in a variety of the ways, the step back jumpers that he was making, the efficiency at which he shot the three ball. That was incredibly surprising to, to me. I didn't realize he was going to come out on six attempts per game in the three games that he did play. He shot 52.6% from three-point range. Um, and then obviously 93% from the free throw line. So he took a healthy diet of shots. He converted them from an efficient standpoint. And when they gave him the keys to run the offense, he did that really well too. Um, he was involved in pick and roll. He made a lot of the right decisions. Obviously, he was going to take his healthy diet of shots, but at times he was he was really selfless too and, and playing within the rest of his team. So that to me was really surprising. And then the, the other guy I could throw out there, um, it, it would be Scotty Barnes. That, that guy... That man is a house. Seeing him in person, I did not realize that he he went to work during the offseason. That that boy packed on some serious weight. Um, he he looks like ten to fifteen pounds heavier than when I saw him. Some of the pre-draft stuff. He is a house. He showed it defensively. He guarded almost every single position out there, and he even showed some of the jump shot stuff too. Pulling up from the elbow, um, stepping in the three pointers with a lot of confidence. But yeah, when I when I saw him on the court, just in person, he looked so much more physically dominant than virtually anyone else he was going up against. And obviously, we we knew about his playmaking. We knew that he could have some impact score in the basketball, but we didn't know what we were get, going to get from the shooting. I think that even though the percentages weren't there, the eye test showed that he's definitely improved there as well. His impact on the glass, and then yeah, just being a defensive playmaker. Those were the two guys that that stood out the most to to me and and. We'll, we'll get to a third guy, I'm sure. I don't want to take up too much time in the segment, but we'll, we'll get to the third guy. Yeah, I, you know what, Scotty, I think the number that stood out to me the most um, out of all his numbers were the blocks because he was a guy mm. who throughout his entire college season had really low block numbers, and I think he was at like two a game. Yep. Um, and you add a, that on to the steals that he's going to get and you know what he does as a menace on ball and one of my concerns with him is like all right if he's going to be a guy who is going to be able to play all five positions he has to in some capacity be able to protect the rim and if he's a guy that's going to be at he doesn't need to be at two blocks a game throughout his career but if he can get above one i feel much more comfortable than a guy who's you know hovering at a half a block a game now in the college season, part of that, he was not playing a whole ton of minutes, but it also felt like he wasn't somebody that like was going after protecting the rim. He preferred to wall up. Um, so I, I think that if he is going to be a legitimate rim protector and just menace in the passing lanes, as well as what he does on the ball. Yeah. You actually are looking at a guy who's going to be able to play all five positions. And as you said, like if he, re- if he looks so much bigger, especially in person, um, he's 19 years old. Like imagine what he's going to look like when he's 25 and he's been in the NBA for a while. He's got his diet right. And uh, he's, you know, seasoned um, in a training program. It could be scary. So uh, personally, when uh, we're talking about valedictorian, I still think I would give it to a guy like Peyton Pritchard over, you know, one of the the incoming rookies like Scotty. I mean, Peyton Pritchard, 20 points a game, nine assists to like one turnover, 50, 55 like 90 like something like that shooting splits um animal and and then you know he had the little uh vacation 92 points in a pro-am which is just a fun (laughs) anecdote rather than anything that means anything um but uh yeah it seemed like a lot of the sophomores kind of understood the speed of the game from jump street 
Um, and then, you know, you mentioned Jalen Green a little bit. You kind of see what being in the G League did for him, the advantage. Yeah. He looked comfortable the entire time he was on the floor. Mm-hmm. He, there was no adjustment period for him. Um, and will there be a little bit of an adjustment during the real games? I think so. I think everything's going to be a slight bit faster. But the thing is, he's already that much faster and more athletic than everybody else that it might just be people catching up to him rather than the other way around. So that's going to be really fun to see going forward. But um, yeah, shout out to the upperclassmen. Shout out to you know guys like Desmond Bain. Uh, Paul Reed was putting up mm-hmm. you know monster stats. Uh, they should have been the standouts. And I think that you know the whole kind of sophomore class, I, I don't know how many mm-hmm. guys really underwhelmed, you know, Naismith and uh, – Patrick Williams was was pretty good. There go down the list, and uh, you know it was really impressive. Um, before we talk about some of the other underclassmen, let's stay on two older guys. Mm-hmm. Now they are going to be rookies. Albert Duarte was one of your guys. Right. How you feeling about the twenty four year old right now and his fit in Indy? It almost felt like he was one of the sophomores that showed up, Corey. Everything that mm-hmm. you talked about, right? Like kind of that that seamless transition, um, kind of feeling the pace of the game and not being surprised by things. Watching Duarte was it was it was a joy. As you mentioned, he was a guy that I was really, really high on. I didn't really care about his age at all. And if anything, in summer league, I thought his age might have helped him, you know, with the transition that you're talking about. He he looked like he fit in, he looked like he was playing at his pace. It never felt like he was rushed. It never felt like he was trying too hard. It never felt like he was like even trying to prove himself. It's like he walked on the court and was like, yeah, I've been here. I know exactly what to do. I'm going to play within my means and I'm going to have an impact on the game. And the thing that surprised me the most with Duarte, I was always a little bit higher on him as a defender, but some of the blocks that he had were unreal. Dude, he had some really, really nice blocks that I was really impressed by. Um, that I, I didn't see coming. I remember against the Knicks, he had a two-hand block that he just literally just chucked into the stands. And I was like, wow, that's that's the type of growth I think the Pacers and the NBA was looking for in terms of him on the defensive side of the ball. Because I know some people had questions about him defensively, and I think he really – I don't know if he worked on it per se, but I think he showed a more advanced feel for for, uh, for NBA defense, well, summer league defense. Um, and I, I was really, really impressed, and I was happy by the way he played. And I, I, I love the way he shot the ball. I love the way he handled the ball. And it once again, he just felt like he fit in and nothing was too fast for him. And I thought that was really impressive. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that I almost underrate how good of a shooter he could potentially be. Yeah. Like he, he shoots one of the prettiest, easiest balls, I think in the whole draft. And I like I just I watched that shot and I'm like wow like he is going to be a guy who's going to play off like I can't envision a situation that he just doesn't fit in you know I, I don't know what the final iteration of the the, the Pacers roster is going to look like at any point this season or next season but like right. whatever direction they go he won't be affected by it at all like he's going to be able to slide in anywhere um, the other Pacer seems like the Pacers had a draft. Uh, Nathan, what'd you think of uh, the guy they they nabbed a, a little bit later in uh, Isaiah Jackson? Well, I think Isaiah Jackson proved that he should have been drafted a lot earlier than, yeah. than he was defensively. I mean, holy cow! That man was an absolute menace, um, stealing everything he could, blocking everything he could. 
obviously a lot of the offensive stuff is a work in progress, but we kind of knew that to an extent. But what we wanted to see was, yeah, he's not going to be the biggest, strongest player out there, but given his athletic package, his length, how is he going to impact the game defensively? Can he step in and do that in an NBA game from, from day one, even in a more limited role? And I think in summer league, he definitely proved that he can do that. Just being an active body, always wanting to be involved in something on defense when he was given opportunity on offense. Was he going to be constantly running up and down the floor? That was something that he showed that he can do at Kentucky. I would hope that he can do it given his athletic profile, but he didn't always sprint from, from end to end as much as he could at Kentucky. And that was something that I definitely pointed out during the pre-draft process, but he seemed like a very motivated player in, in Indy. And I really wonder if he was more, more motivated, kind of like some other guys, they don't get drafted as high as they thought they should have been. And they kind of have that chip on their shoulder coming in with something to prove. And the way he played defensively, I wonder if, he might be earning some minutes a little sooner than, than we might think in, in Indy. Like to me, he looked like someone I'd rather try and throw minutes to in the, in the rookie season than somebody like Goga. Like I know Goga is like their incoming, like backup big man to Sabonis and Turner, but like, why wouldn't you want to see somebody like Jackson out there impacting the game defensively when you have so many other offensive options that you can go to? Like you just, we just talked about Duarte. I mean, they, they gave him the keys to the offense out there in summer league. They wanted to see how much he could handle and. To his credit, he he did pretty much anything you could ask of him. A lot of his makes were were contested. Um, you still have Malcolm Brogdon, obviously you have Sabonis, T.J. Warren. They have so many other guys that can fill it up offensively. Why not give Isaiah Jackson a role like eighteen to twenty-two minutes a night? Start him off there. See what he can handle um, from from a defensive standpoint. And and who knows? Maybe he even grows more into that role. Maybe he's more ready to play in an NBA game than than we initially thought. I mean, I I would have been perfectly comfortable taking him like late lottery to mid first, but he didn't go there. And I, I think he proved his worth out in summer league. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Albert and I were always, you know, uh, I think Ajax fans and mm -hmm. specifically, I think, you know, there's certain pairings in the draft that I almost feel like are going to be contrasted long-term with each other. And I think, you know, the Hornets going with Kai Jones over an Isaiah Jackson is an interesting, you know, kind of decision because they're both players that you're kind of expecting similar things from. And uh, I don't, nothing has changed for me in that regard. I still think Isaiah Jackson is kind of the better prospect. And, you know, e even if he doesn't become anything more than I think he is already offensively, I still feel like what he's going to bring overall is going to be more valuable. Um, but only time will tell. Uh, the other older incoming uh, rookie, he's playing in a championship game in about 15 minutes or so. Let's go. Stavion Mitchell. And uh, I'm going to throw this back at Nathan. I, I forgot what tier he was in when you did your tiers. Um, it was too many episodes for me until I got to him. What tier did you have Davion in? Uh, and has your perception about him changed at all through summer league? So I had him, I actually did not even have him in a tier three. I, I was lower on Davion. I had him in a tier four for me. And that's still, 
that's still a first round grade, but really how I classified tier three versus tier four. Tier three for me was a guy that, that you would consider a one through four starter on like a really good, the potentially championship level team. And tier four would be kind of like your sixth man, your spot starter, or like your specialist, like, like some of your shooting specialists, for example. I thought that Davion was going to be um, really good in like a sixth man spe- defensive specialist type role. Obviously any offense he can give you on top of his um, and intensity and tenacity on that end of the floor would be gravy, but man, Davion has proven that he he's proven me wrong already. Um, I, I think that given what he can do from a defensive standpoint, along with the, the offense, apparently the offense is going to translate like every single jump shot he hit in, in Vegas was off the dribble. And a lot of them were even contested looks, not everything he walked into was wide open. So clearly all of the people who are out there, myself included, who had questions about, oh, he only shot this from the free throw line. How's that going to translate from range? Clearly, a lot of those skeptics are apparently going to be proven wrong. But he just look, looks so comfortable operating within the offense, making plays for others. My biggest question about Davion the whole time, and the, one of the reasons why I like Jared Butler more than him, was that when we talk about from a playmaking standpoint, a lot of his start stop stuff, like when he's changing speeds, when he's looking to change pace out there, is he keeping his head up and looking for somebody else to, to make a decision for, or is he just, you know, doing his little hesitation dribble and then he's looking to barrel onto the basket and just score. And that's all he's looking to do. Right. Davion was actually looking for guys off the bounce consistently. And he seemed like a much more willing passer than even I thought he would be coming into the NBA. And he, he was very comfortable making NBA level reads. So yeah, I, I'm to the point, I think given just what he's clearly going to bring from a winning standpoint, I think he's actually a better fit with, with Tyrese Halliburton. Like I, I'm a lot more comfortable today on the Kings making that draft pick to begin with. And if they do, decide to move on from somebody like a De'Aaron Fox. I actually don't feel as bad about that move anymore if they want to look at Davion as one of their long-term options at the guard spot. So, yeah, he's actually done a lot to, to really sway me in another direction. Yeah, I mean, you know, Albert and I never wavered. Um, I always thought the free throw shooting was stuff that, like, you could overlook. Even here, he's one for five in the you know, he's shooting 20% from the free throw line here. But his impact is being felt um, on both ends. You know, last week we talked about how – there were times where he made it seem like James Booknight couldn't dribble the basketball. Like it was the first time he had ever been handed a ball. Um, and you know, I, you don't get the nickname off night for just being an okay defender, right? Like you are a, you mean serious business if somebody's giving you that nickname, but yeah, the offensive stuff to me, it just always looked more NBA like than college. Like, so the start stop, the getting into the paint, all that stuff, the playmaking, um, what I like about it is I never expected him to be this guy who was going to come in and like average eight assists a game. You know, to me, he was much like Halliburton, but in very different ways, a one and a half. He's a chameleon. He could fit into a bunch of different lineups. Now, the uh, one of the other things that I think a lot of people worried about with him is, all right, he's six foot one. And I'm going to say that he's six foot one and not six foot because we're Everybody else gets to play basketball and shoes, so Davion Mitchell should be able to get be able to play basketball and shoes as well. Um, and how many positions can a guy who's six one with a six four or six five wingspan possibly play? And uh, you know, uh, it doesn't matter that I watched him guard Cade Cunningham with uh, no trouble at all. 
It doesn't matter that I watched him literally be underneath the guy's shirt defensively, much like I'm sure a boxer with a shorter, uh, you know, reach would try to close the, the, the distance there. Um, a lot of people wondered, like, how is he going to be able to play? And then I, you know, it always confused me too, because he played in a three guard lineup where he was going from being on ball to off ball to back to on ball. And it didn't matter if he was playing next to Jared Butler, who we also love on this show. Um, so big ups to you on that because, oh, you yeah. know, hopefully, you know, we get to see him play in a significant role in the NBA because, uh, you know, he's an unbelievable talent. And then playing next to Macy O.T., who's also had an unbelievable um, summer league. You know, I think like 17 just, points and 12 assists today, I think, and yeah, against the yeah. Sixers. I still got to watch that game. but Yeah, same. And, I, and you know, I, I think just, like, even bringing that Teague up real quick, like, it just shows, like, maybe sometimes it's good to draft players who know how to win basketball games. Like, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe winning basketball players are good for – your outlook if you're trying to win and not just try to be like, all right, maybe this guy is going to be an all NBA player because traditionally you're not getting many all NBA players in the draft and nobody, you know, median outcomes sometimes are a lot better than trying to use your imagination for what a player ceiling is going to be. Um, but I do think that like Davion clearly has, he's going to be a guy that people question his fit in Sacramento Obviously, you say he's going to probably come off the bench for at least the beginning of the season. Yep. And you question, are you is that worth you know using a number nine overall pick on? And it's like it, sometimes on a guy like him, it is take the best player available, right? And then you, you figure it out later because even if he's a guy that is coming off the bench for a couple of years, like that doesn't mean that he can't be having an incredibly positive winning impact on the game. I, I mean, there's plenty right. of guys who do that as six men and he could be a fantastic six man and still be worth his draft slot. You know, I think that that's the the thing that, you know, I look on, I, I, he's going to be able to start on a number of teams, but like if he went to golden state and he was just a guy who was used in this change of pace role, it doesn't mean that he wouldn't have contributed to winning there either. It's, I, I think the, the lines being blurred there are one of the things with Davion that, was so hard for people to see. Uh, I don't care if he's starting or he's coming off the bench. I know when he's mm-hmm. in the game, he's going to be playing winning basketball. And I it's also that- no coincidence that Peyton Pritchard and Davion Mitchell, two of the guys going all the yeah. way back to high school with arguably some of the most winning pedigrees uh, among a lot of these guys that we can talk about. It's no coincidence that they're both no. playing in the championship game tonight. Not at all. Right. I mean, these the, winning takes something and the, the potential game doesn't always pay off. And speaking of which, like Daviana's high potential too, in my opinion. So like to me, look, and I don't think he like going top, you know, in the ninth pick, like it's not like he dropped on, you know, by any means he entered the season in what, like the forties or something like that, you know, as a prospect. So it's, he, it's not like he was undervalued. Um, But the perception of him, I think is definitely going to start to change. And that makes me happy because it's players like him that, and I'm writing an article on him, so I don't want to give too much away, but it's it's players like him that like blur the lines between the two camps of like the eye test and like the analytical people. And like he's a guy that you kind of need to merge and, and just melt together. Because if you go one way or the other, you you could get burnt. Like his, some of his analytical stuff and his size and like mm-hmm. yeah, it's it says he shouldn't be a good player. But like when you watched him, you're like 
but my eyes are telling me he is a good player. And sometimes I think like you need to look at both and see what is going to fit and the pieces. Like it's not always going to be this exact person who looks like, you know, they have a 65 true shooting percentage with a 4.7 block. Like sometimes you got to like the stats won't tell the whole story. Mm. And we have to be okay with those players going higher up sometimes. Well, the last thing too, I mean, the, the last thing that I'll say, I know that Albert hasn't gotten anything on Tate, <laughs> so I kind of feel bad. Um, but <laughs> how many how many of these guys uh, as well, the, the most important point we can make, were up at the crack of dawn in Las Vegas getting workouts in too? This man quite literally works non stop like when a lot of these guys were probably sleeping or maybe like getting breakfast to start heading over and practicing for some of these games Davion was already up for like multiple hours in the morning working out with Tyrese Halliburton on the other side of the on the other side of town like how how many of these guys are honestly putting in work like that in what's a quote-unquote enjoyment period for a lot of these guys yeah get out summer league get some run get some five on five basketball for the first time in a few months but a lot of these guys are also out at the clubs they're out at the casinos they're they're enjoying themselves and rightfully so the congratulations to them they're rookies or sophomores in the nba not a lot of people get to that point but davion just never stops working and when you're drafting guys like you have to hold that in high regard for somebody like him or even like a Jalen Green. That's what separates these guys. It, it's just the truth about it. For sure. Albert, what do you what kind of effect do you think Davion's gonna have on Sacramento's culture? Dude, I, I think what Nathan mentioned at the end is so important to me. Like just if I look at the totality of the couple of weeks that Davion had in Vegas, I felt like a proud dad. Like I was just so, so freaking proud of him. Like watching that video of him working out with Halliburton early in the morning, him taking corner threes. It didn't even look like he was like fully dressed for the workout. It looked like he was wearing like cargo shorts and a hoodie. But that's just Davion right there. He's like, I don't need, you know, to wear special stuff. Like I can work out in anything. But I was really proud of him. Like as weird as that sounds, like I'm not related to him at all. But, you know, just the amount of praise that we dumped on Davion throughout the process and to see him you know initially have a really good start to his NBA career through summer league was exciting man and you know Corey I did want to mention something though that I've been thinking about a lot because I think you mentioned it in a tweet where you said you know with the free throw shooting it's still on low volume but also it could potentially be kind of like a mental like yips kind of thing and like I don't know in my head I was thinking of like Chuck Knobloch back in the 90s who literally couldn't throw to first base when he was on the Twins and on the Yankees. And then, you know, you go back to, like, Nick Anderson on the on the Magic, Antoine Walker, Mar- Markel Fultz. Like, I'm really hoping that it's not something like that, where, you know, he's, like, really caught up in his head with the free throw shooting. I really do hope it is just off, you know, low volume or whatever. And, yeah, I mean, everything else you, you said is right. You know, throughout the process, you, you were such a staunch supporter of his defense in terms of how, he, you know, his chest was so big. He put his chest into you and you're not going anywhere. And he showed that during summer league, which was awesome. The off the dribble stuff was fun. Him attacking the rim sometimes. It was like, damn, like he was, it was like, um, it was like the express lane, you know, he was just getting in there so quick, finishing over, you know, using that savvy that we talked about. He's so savvy around the rim. He did a lot of that stuff. And so if you consider all of that, in terms of his talent and his skills, and then the winning attitude, the winning mentality, and him going into a, secu- a, a situation in Sacramento that isn't, you know, renowned for winning, that's exciting. And, you know, we talked about it right after the draft. We were like, I, Corey, I think you and I were one. We're in the minority where we were like, we don't hate this pick. You know, I heard on a lot of different platform, platforms people kind of bashing the pick, and I was like, no, like, it's just like baseball. You know, you can never have enough pitching. 
And I think in basketball, you can never have enough quality culture guys. And beyond that, I, I think there's a lot more to him. And as you mentioned, he could come off the bench for a couple of years. And I still think there'll be a, a, a nice enough ceiling to him where I'm not comparing him to James Harden, but situationally, what if he spends a couple of years coming off the bench and ha- has a really good impact and then goes off somewhere else or in Sacramento blossoms into a bigger role that could happen. And so overall, I'm, I mean, I'm still really ecstatic about Davion and it was really fun to watch him perform at that level at summer league. Agreed. We'll shout it from the rooftops. Uh, we'll also be wrong about some of these prospects. So oh, that will be, we'll be talking about way less. So uh, <laughs> you'll have to, you'll have to dig those up and post them on the internet, everyone. Um, let's uh, we talked about Cam Thomas. We talked about Jalen green. It's kind of like these standout guys. Uh, Nathan, did any of the other rookies really stand out to you? You know, even whether you watched them in person uh, or, you know, on TV. Yeah, so I, I guess the third guy that I would have thrown in, in my little valedictorian um, spiel, and, and by the way, of, of course, I, I wanted you guys to talk about Peyton Pritchard and, and Tyrese Maxey and some of the sophomores, but really it's like, first of all, for a guy like Peyton Pritchard and, and Desmond Bain, like these guys were like college seniors and they're like second-year players. Why are these guys still playing major minutes in like summer league? I just, I'll never understand that. That's just me. But um, in terms of like the rookies, Trey Murphy – really stood out to me um, and not because he was doing anything differently than he did in college. Matter of fact, he, he literally did the same exact things on the court that he did in Virginia. But the difference between him and some of these other guys is that just because Trey Murphy has more of what I would call a limited repertoire, that doesn't mean that he's not a bad player or not even a good to great player because he proved that he is. He's just so efficient in everything that he does. And he wasn't scared to try some of those off the off the dribble jumpers. He wasn't scared to have more offensive responsibility thrown on him. Matter of fact, he handled it really well. He averaged 16.3 points per game on 56% from the field, 44% from three. Like, yeah, he only took one and a half free throws per game, but that's not part of his game. Part of his game is, is spot up shooting, catch and shoot, cutting without the basketball. And he does all those things so well he just fits in he makes good decisions with the basketball and then defensively I mean I, I think the, the the biggest defensive sequence that everyone wanted to talk about was him um, putting the clamps on Jonathan Kaminga a little bit there somebody who is a more physically superior basketball player and, and Trey Murphy just knows how to use the size and the length that he has to his advantage he knows how to play against angles he knows how to limit these guys from getting to their spots where they're the most comfortable and like if Jonathan Kaminga's not driving right away to the basket. If he's trying to post somebody up and and use a spin move, like that's not necessarily part of his game yet either, but that Trey Murphy made him get into a spot where he had to back him down or try and get rid of the basketball. Like that's just part of who he is. And and shout out to to Chuck at Chucking Darts. I know that he's been so high on Trey Murphy through this whole process, but like you, you saw it, you saw it in the summer league and you saw why he's probably going to end up being a starter for the New Orleans Pelicans. I think at some point this season, probably not, right away but I think at some point like after the trade deadline like second half of the season he's going to be in that starting lineup with a lot of those other guys because Zion and Brandon Ingram just need basketball players that they can trust to not do dumb stuff and Trey Murphy is not going to do dumb stuff he knows what he does well and he's going to do all those things to an efficient standpoint and yeah that's what he's going to bring to the table and he really impressed me just the level of impact that he could have and how much better he was than a lot of these other rookies by just even on a limited repertoire, just doing what he knows how to do and just doing it so well against NBA level competition. 
Yeah, I, I agree 100%. You know, we, we called Trey Murphy's name for attendance last episode, but we, we failed to talk about him. And I feel like that's <laughs> apt because he is just like the kid who always does their work, is always on time, but is just in the back of the classroom, just like enjoying learning about school. Like they just want to know what happened in World War II. And they're just learning and they're not causing a ruckus. They're just doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're if there's group work, like they're they're pulling their weight. If it's, you know, they're learning on Zoom, they got their picture on, they they showed up on time and uh no funny business. And uh like you said, the Pelicans need that. I mean, the just picturing like that beautiful shooting stroke and how much space he's going to have when Zion Williamson just bowling ball bulldozes into the paint and everyone has to collapse or he's going to shoot 95% at the rim. And just the amount of just open shots that this beautiful shooter is going to have. It's, it's such a pretty thought. Um, Albert, I know we were uh, both high on him um, right. pre-draft. Give me your Troy, uh, your Trey Murphy thoughts. Dude, I, I honestly, I think Nathan covered it. I think, the only the biggest reaction that I had, and like we watched plenty of Trey Murphy, but he shoots such a damn beautiful ball, like the arc that he gets on his shot, it's un, it's beautiful, it's so freaking nice. And you know, now you think about like how he's gonna fit on that roster, and like that roster is so weird, like it truly is. Even though they offloaded Eric Bledsoe, like it's it's still a weird roster to me, I think. And um, but you know, it, it's a good fit. He's gonna shoot the shit out of the ball. It's a good situation for him, I think. And also like defensively, you mentioned now. Uh, man, I, I'm upset that Nathan mentioned Kaminga, you know, the way that he did, because I'm, you know, you know I'm high on Kaminga and I, I had nice things to say about Kaminga. But um, but, you know, it has to be said. Trey Murphy played really nice defense. He uses his length really, really well. And I think all those things are so it's like, you know, it, it's kind of like they're trading J.J. Redick for Trey Murphy kind of role wise. I don't know. Maybe not. But, you know, Trey Murphy's going to offer a lot more defensively and he's going to shoot the ball really, really well. So I I you know, I like the pick and I was hoping he would fall to the Knicks at 19. And I do wonder if he was still at the board at 19, would the Knicks have traded back or would they have taken him? I don't know. But anyway, um, all good things to say about Trey Murphy. Yeah. It feels like the reason they traded back might've been because one of their guys didn't fall. Right. It seems like that could have been their plan, but Hey, um, and you know, we could talk about the Knicks later if you want, but uh, the Knicks guys have been absolutely fucking shredding. Uh, in Vegas. I I wanted to transition from Trey Murphy because fairly or unfairly, I think that this player is going to be linked to Trey Murphy. Even though there was a, a whole bunch of things that could have happened in between, it feels like this player, there's going to be some connection due to the nature of the trade. And we didn't talk about him last week. I don't think. Maybe we did. Um, Zaire Williams. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, what did you feel? How did you feel about Zaire before the summer league uh, leading up to the draft? So during the pre-draft process, I think that I, like a lot of others, started to come around on him a little bit because when you go back and watch the tape, he actually had some nice defensive flashes at Stanford, but we knew everything about his offensive game, how he was going to need a lot of work to reinstill that confidence from attacking the basket and scoring around the basket all the way out to 
um, shooting his jumper in, in different situations. We knew that the offense was going to be a work in progress. So um, I, I was not terribly high on him, but at the same time, after watching him in summer league, getting to see him up close, how fast he is. Like sometimes one of the things that I love about seeing a basketball game in person is that you generally get a much better sense of just how fast these guys actually are. And Zaire Williams was one of the fastest guys that I got to see there in person at that size. Like obviously he can be a menace in transition. If he's booking it from one end to the other, he, he can run straight to the corner, get himself ready for a catch and shoot. And I think that's going to be one of the main ways he offers offense, but in other parts of the game, in other parts of his physicality, his body's just, his body's not ready yet. It, it's not ready yet. It's not going to be ready. So the Grizzlies picked him at number 10 and I actually got into a little bit of a Twitter kerfuffle last night. Kerfuffle um, a good word. Kerfuffle. Yeah, man. Um. Because I, I mentioned that I think that he's going to spend a lot of time this year in the G league. And right. one guy responded to me like, who gets picked with a top 10 pick and spends a lot of the season in the G league when we know they can play basketball? Like how many guys that happened to? Well, first of all, I think we need to get rid of the notion that the G league is this some awful place to, to send players. Right. Like the G league is not what the D league once was. These guys are getting well coached. And so the G league for somebody like a Zaire Williams or a Brandon Boston, it's going to do them wonders in the long term. but that doesn't mean that you don't pick somebody with a top 10 pick because they might spend that season in the G League. Like Memphis, I, I literally went back to, to look at the roster because I wanted to respond to this guy last night. Like they're already 11 deep, and that's not even including what, whatever might happen with like Rajon Rondo or like somebody like that. Like what rookie were they going to select it with the 10th overall pick that was actually going to play any kind of role for them this year? Like it, it wasn't going to be somebody. So like if they got intel that Zaire Williams was rising up draft boards – why not trade up for a guy who could be a major upside swing for you? Uh, you when you know you don't really have a rotation spot for any of these rookies right now, why not try and bring somebody like that in and see what you have two to three years down the road? So what I would say about him is just because he needs development doesn't mean he wasn't potentially worth a top 10 pick. That's a, that's a perspective that sometimes we need when we're talking about Zaire Williams on this show. Um, I, the one thing I, I want to touch on quickly before I hand it over to Albert is like, you talk about like going to see guys in person and you start seeing the difference athletically and how fast Zaire looks. I, I mean, such a good point. And I remember the first time that I got to watch Derek Rose live, <laughs> like in his prime before the injury. Right. And uh, it literally looked like an alien was on the court with a bunch of other people. It was the strangest thing that I had ever seen on a basketball court until I was standing three feet away from Bol Bol, um, who is the craziest looking human being I've ever seen in person. <laughs> he just does. He looks like a, he shouldn't exist. He looks like a, 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 you know, a character from Harry Potter or something, or, you know, I, I don't know. It, it was bizarre, but uh, yeah, the, like the athletic difference. And, and I will say, I noticed how quick Zaire, like Zaire's first step looked quicker. I feel like in summer league than it did it at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Part of that might've been like mm-hmm. recovering from the injury and, and whatnot, but he definitely like his catch and rip was definitely improved upon uh, just in the limited time. Uh, Albert, did Zaire do anything to change your mind at all uh, as, as uh, his potential uh, future prospects mm-hmm. go? 
I, I think I'm trying to be more open-minded. Really, really quick uh, side anecdote, though. I met Bol Bol at a Hot Wings Cafe in Hollywood, and um, he wore a red leather jacket that was way too short on him and had, like, a bejeweled spider on it. And uh, this was right before the draft, the year he got drafted. And I told him, hey, good luck in the draft. And, he, he, you know, he was very nice and kind about it. But that was one of the most hideous jackets I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> we just wanted to throw that in there. Um, but um, inter- who are we talking about, Zaire? Zaire. I- I'm, trying, Zaire. <laughs> I'm trying to have an open mind. Like, Bobo had an open mind with that jacket. You know, like, it, yeah. it's there are still things about Zaire's game that's really janky to me. Like, I heard Kevin O'Connor talk so much about the fluidity of uh, Zaire Williams' handle. I'm still not seeing that. I- I'm still not anywhere close to be at that level where I can say that his handle looks fluid and beautiful. Um, I'm still. I watched him that. in person, literally cough up the ball, like on a transition right. run out. Like the ball literally just fell out of his hands when he was right there at the finish oh. line. And I'm like, come on, man. Nathan. Yeah, he's not a good ball handler. He's not. A, he's not a good Cor- ball handler. Corey and I, we went at Zaire Williams because we, you know. We heard a lot of people talk about his handle, and we were just not impressed. And he had some of the ugliest turnovers I've ever seen in college. And then, you know, I don't think he really – maybe it's, you know, he still needs more time. But, you know, regardless, like, I think, Nathan, the point that you made about the athleticism, it's there. You know, Kyle Mann was praising Zaire Williams as, you know, potentially becoming a defensive weapon one day. and Friend of the I, show. Right, a friend of the show, Kyle Mann. We're very thankful for him. Um, but, you know, he he showed some flashes. I'm still not there, though. You know, maybe I'm just hard headed and maybe I just really want to be right about this. But um, I'm not I'm not really wavering too much about his game. I still think there's a lot of um, progression and growth that needs to come. Not to say that it won't happen, though. But as of now, from what I've seen in, in summer league, still not impressed, but trying to have an open mind. Red leather jacket with spider on it is my Zaire Williams. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm I'm not there either. I I. Like I said, I, I think that he looked quicker in the summer league. Um, I still think that he's just a guy who, like, part of his selling point for people, especially, like, taking a guy in the top ten, was that Zaire Williams was a guy who was potentially going to hit tough shots. And that was going to be his calling card. And to me, like, he's taking tough shots because he can't get easy shots. <laughs> and that, to me, is in a positive. Like, because he's not hitting the tough shots that he's taking. He didn't do it in college. He didn't do it in the summer league. You know, like I had somebody, he had like a good first half in one of the games and somebody like tagged me in a tweet, like that I was like crying (laughs) about it. And it was all in fun because it's somebody I've interacted with before, but it's like, all right, he, then his second half happened in the rest of summer league. And it's like, he's going to have moments where I think he looks like a player, but I think he's just always going to be a dick tease he's never going to come through for you. He's just, uh, to me, like, he's just too far. Like, now, the one thing, like, he's going to be playing with the John Morant, um, and he's going to be playing with guys who are going to be looked upon to be guys who are doing the tough shot making. And to me, like, if the Grizzlies were like, let's draft this kid in the top 10 because he could be a 3 and D guy who also maybe could pass a little bit here and there, and we like the potential of the three and D plus more so than we think we know Trey Murphy or whoever else is a little safer or whatever, even though they're probably going to be the smarter move. Like, and they just wanted to take the upside swing. Maybe they don't think they're ever going to have an opportunity to get that high in the draft again. Like I don't time will tell what the right move was, but 
yeah, I just can't get there with him as more than a three and D guy. Like, I think that's his upside. I think he could get there potentially, especially at the team he went to. But it looks like while I, you know, Memphis, I usually love most of their drafts because they go for, you know, the draft Twitter guys. They go for the guys that you look like, you know, they've, they've done it in college. They're more of the safe guy. You kind of know what you're getting. It's easier to look, you know, kind of swing for those guys at the back of the draft when they kind of fall into your lap than it is to trade up and go for, you know, the high potential guys. And time will tell if Zaire's the right move. I didn't see anything that's changed it. Not a lot of time has passed since, I guess, college and summer league. And, you know, it was only a small sample. But uh, I kind of agree. I think, Nathan, you know, I think he could definitely um, spend some more time. But both of their guys really wet the bed Uh, in summer league. Santi, too. Like, I I, I, I turned to an agent. It was really funny. I turned turned to an agent (laughs) out there who I was sitting with, and I was like, how surprised were you when the Grizzlies traded up, but they picked Santi all the way? He just kind of gave me like bug eyes, and I'm like, yeah, that that was kind of my reaction on on draft night too. Didn't he only? Sh- I think he only shot like ten percent from the field or something like that for for summer league. Like, yeah, yeah they- not not, <laughs> not, uh, not not great. But um, there was a a great end of draft guy who uh, had some really positive moments in the summer league, and that's Sharif Cooper. Uh, a, a big time draft Twitter uh, favorite. I had him, I think, tenth on my board. Uh, I don't think Albert was quite as high on him, but uh, mm-hmm. I think you liked him, right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, but Sharif looked good, man. Uh, Nathan, what do you think about what's going to go on with Sharif as a pro? Is is this stuff going to translate? And is he even going to get to show it playing behind Trey Young? I, I think he's probably in the best spot to, to be honest with you that that he could have been, and not that I didn't think he should have been drafted drafted before forty eighth because he one hundred percent should have. But being behind a guy like Trey, being able to when he does get a chance eventually in, in the NBA to to come off the bench for the Atlanta Hawks, a team that has so much of their offense built around what Trey Young does really well, a lot of that Sharif Cooper can also do. Yep. So. I think in that sense, they can bring Sharif in, not have to change too much of their offensive game plan. They can run a lot of the same stuff. And that's going to be where we figure out what Sharif can and and can't do on an NBA floor. Now, we got somewhat of an example of that during Summer League. Obviously, he was a passing savant. The guy has onions. He was willing to take and make big shots, including a game winner. But, man, that, that guy has to speed up his jump shot. Like the the amount of times that I saw him pass up what would have been an open three for about 90% of NBA players because his shooting mechanics are literally that slow between him bringing the ball up and getting it off. And, and it seemed like almost anybody could run him off of his spot and make him do something else. Like I don't even think he's that bad of a shooter. To be perfectly honest with you, his shot when he actually took the shots, none of them looked bad in, in Vegas. They really didn't. But, yeah, those, those mechanics, you, you cannot have – just any Joe Schmo running you off of your spots and anyone running off your spots like that in the NBA, that, that has to change. So I'm not completely I do... sure why teams would want to run him off the, the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of like at this point, like prove that you can make the shots, man. Like exactly. Like t- between teams trying to run him off spots between 
Um, all these defenders biting on every single pump fake that like Alper and Shengun did, like when he was trying to shoot these threes from like the, the, the top of the key, like, no, like you shouldn't be biting on his pump. Fake. He shot 18% from three overseas. Like, I think he's going to be a shooter, but his shot's not ready yet. Like, why are you letting him get easy steps into the paint? And like the same thing with, with Sharif. Like, I agree with you, Corey, like let him shoot those shots. Cause he's much more dangerous when he gets a step, when he gets one foot in the paint, cause he knows how to either draw a foul or he's probably going to have somebody cutting or moving out the basketball and he's going to hit that lob or he's going to hit that dime every single time. So like, there are some things that I noticed that will translate, like all, all the passing stuff's going to translate, which I think we all kind of knew that, that it would, but really about his scoring, he was really tough scoring around the basket. He was still able to draw some fouls. The, the free throw numbers weren't as good in the summer league and he didn't draw as many free throws as he did in college. But I think when he gets more opportunity, I think that that will come. I think they really wanted to put the ball in his hands, see how are you going to run this team? can you do some of the same things that you did in college on an NBA floor? I think the answer is yes from a passing standpoint, but from, from a scoring perspective, yeah, a lot of that stuff's still out. Yeah. I kind of like what the Hawks have kind of been doing with like their drafts and just their overall team building philosophy where they're like, we're just going to get a player that we like. And then once we get that player, we're just going to try to get a player that is just like that player Yep. To back them up. And it's like Herter and Bogdanovich, you know, Jalen Johnson and maybe John Collins, like uh, Hunter and Reddish and uh, Trey. And it's just like, can we just get like the clones who may not bring all of the same things, but like <laughs> a little bit of it. And then, you know, we'll throw in a Kung Wu there every, uh, every now and then as well for, you know, him behind Capella. Like um, I like their strategy. It, it seems to be working out just fine with, uh, you know, good health and NBA coaching. Can Albert, we hear Albert talk about Jalen Johnson? I, that's where we we're going oh, with this. Please. Albert, come please. on. Talk to us. Here we go. So, okay. I've, I've been waiting. When Corey told me that Nathan was coming on, I, I, knew <laughs> I knew this was coming. I knew I would have to eventually face this. Guys, I, you know what? You're gonna you're gonna hate me for this, but I'm still I'm still waiting. And and this is probably me being stubborn. I'm I'm not gonna fight that. This is most definitely me, definitely me being stubborn. But I did want to say when we recorded and we talked about Jalen Johnson, the one area that I did give him a lot of credit for was the defense. And I actually liked some of the crazy stuff he was doing defensively. Um, that I was pretty happy about. Well, not ha- happy about is weird because that makes it seem like I liked him. And then now I'm like, no, <laughs> that, that's not it. Um, but it was like, yeah, that, that stuff is really, really impressive. I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still worried about the shot. I want to throw that in there. I know you guys are, you know, maybe not as, you know, actually, I don't remember Nathan, what you said about his shooting. Um, but um, all right. You know, I'll just say it. Yeah, he was, he was freaking impressive. He, there were real moments where he felt like a man amongst boys. Um, the stuff that we talked about in terms of him in transition, you saw some of that and that was impressive. And he took some shots where I was like, God damn, where did you have the balls to take that shot? Like he hit some like turnarounds and I was like, you know what? F you, man. Like that, that's a really nice shot. That looked really good too. Um, so you know what? I, I'm not going to go all the way back and be like, yeah, I think he's going to be awesome. I still have my questions about Jalen Johnson. I'm still not like the, you know, I'm not where you guys are in terms. Actually, I know Corey's not as high as Nathan either in terms of Jalen Johnson, but, um, uh, you know, uh oh, he's coming around. Uh-uh. First of all, I, I had come around. You, if, you know, I, I said that I was a Jalen Johnson guy on that episode. 
Um, I may have ranked him looking back a little bit too low, but that's because I thought he was one of the guys who were very context dependent mm-hmm. to, in or, you know, how were they going to reach their ceiling and was their median outcome necessarily worth where you may draft this player. Right. And I think Jalen Johnson is one of the biggest winners from mm-hmm. this draft class because yeah. he is going into the best possible spot for him to go. Now, mm-hmm. is it crowded in that front court? Yes. Yeah. Are the Hawks a team that probably aren't trying to rely on a rookie to, you know, win basketball games next season? Yes. But he gets to play with Trey Young for the duration of his rookie contract and possibly beyond. Mm-hmm. And I just think that Trey Young has become one of those guys, different player, but same vein with his passing. And he looked much more like this, you know, from the second half of the season on that he's just like a Steve Nash guy. Mm-hmm. And he's just going to make like you play with Trey Young. Chances are you're probably going to look better than you did at the previous spot, or you may have looked at a different spot if you get drafted there. And I look at his skill sets and all the things. I, if you remember, like the guy I compared him to was Blake Griffin. Mm-hmm. You know, that's who I thought, like, ultimately, if he wanted to, like, max out his ceiling, like, he could play that kind of role um, where he starts out. He, like, he could just do all of the athletic things as he develops the skill set to get more comfortable doing the other stuff. I just, I love him landing in Atlanta. And I think that this is one of the reasons, and I started typing it up, and then I just realized, like, I got busy doing something else. I could, like, I wanted to do a post-draft big board. Because mm-hmm. I do think that sometimes player rankings will change almost immediately when you see where a player lands, whether it's a good mm-hmm. spot or bad spot. And, you know, I had Jalen Johnson, like, uh, 20, like, very early 20s. He would have been up as a lottery guy had I known that he was going to go to the Atlanta Hawks. Okay. I oh. didn't foresee him slipping that far. Yeah. Really quickly, though, last thing I want to say, um, when we did our pod, I compared him to Kenyon Martin Jr. and people are going to give me crap for it, but it's fine. It's fine. You know, like I thought Kenyon Martin Jr. had some moments too. So uh, that I wanted to say that. And also I did say that I wasn't comfortable with Jalen Johnson going in the top 10, but if he went, you know, in that 20 range, that's totally fine. And he went what 20th to the Hawks. So, you know, let's not, let's, let's not kill me about it, but um, <laughs> I hear you guys, you guys were, you guys are really high on him. Uh, I think I'm I'm not like coming all the way around, but definitely like I'm not as low as I was back then either. Listen, man, he averaged 19 points, nine and a half <laughs> rebounds, 57% from the field, almost 42% from three, 82% <sighs> from the free throw line, the blocks, the steals, some of the assists he had. I still don't think he knows what the fuck he's doing on the basketball court. <laughs> that that is still as evident to me as it was during the pre-draft process. That, to me, I'm going to be really intrigued to see if he can crack the rotation as a rookie. I think out of a lot of their young guys they had that, that actually played well between Sharif, Skylar Mays, himself, I think that Jalen actually has the best chance to crack that rotation as a young guy, but it's going to be really interesting to see him share the court with Trey Young because the, the Hawks have done well by Trey to surround him with really smart basketball players, guys who know what to do and where to be on the court at all times, and I still don't think Jalen knows – what he's doing, like I said. So it's going to be really interesting to see if Trey's like yelling at Jalen Johnson at some point during the season. Like, why didn't you make this cut 
at this time. Like I would have had you for the perfect lob, man. So that's going to be pretty funny to watch. But yeah, Jalen, that's the other thing too, is that Jalen was consistently doing things off the ball. Like he was cutting a lot. He was running out in transition a lot. These are such simple plays for him, but he's another guy you see in person. He's so much faster than virtually everyone else. Like if he commits to doing the little things, he's he could average 10 to 12 points a night on just doing the little things alone. And then you throw in all of the other varieties of shot making that, that he was able to do out, out in summer league. And if any of that translates two to three years down the road, like, yeah, the Atlanta Hawks got somebody who should have absolutely been picked higher than 20. But the, the, on draft night, the rich always get richer. That's what always happens. And yeah. shout out to Atlanta. They've done an incredible job, like you said, Corey, building this team from the ground up. There's a lot of NBA teams that wish that the front court of their young core that have been, uh, <laughs> you know, is Onyeka Kungwu and Jalen Johnson, and neither of those two guys are probably going to be playing more than what, like, fifteen minutes a night, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. So, uh, yeah, well done uh, to the Hawks, especially because, you know, their front office was probably pretty close to being on the chopping block given how the mm-hmm. first half of the year went, right? And now you see the vision uh, once everybody's healthy. And like you said, rich get richer. Um, now, Nathan, you can answer this with any number, including zero. How many teams are going to regret passing on Jalen Suggs? <sighs> so I don't, think the, I don't think the Rockets will regret taking Jalen Green. I think Jalen Green actually has a much better argument today for arguably being the, the best player in this draft class. But I think the answer could be as many as three other teams. And this goes back to what I said for months and months leading up to the draft. If I was a team drafting in the top four or the top five, there may be a guy that I think is a better fit for my team. There may be a guy I think who has higher upside than Jalen Suggs. But if I'm that GM making that pick and I'm not taking Jalen Suggs, I'm not going to sleep well at night. I'm just not like that. We, we know Jalen Suggs, regardless of how quote unquote high you think his ceiling is just like we talked about with Davion Mitchell with a guy like Peyton Pritt. Like he's just, he's just going to come in and win basketball games. And mm-hmm. that that's clearly the impact that he's going to have. He's a positive dude. He wants everybody else around him to succeed. He's going to do anything he can to push other guys to be better. Um, yeah. So, so I think as many as, as three teams could potentially regret passing on him. I, I think that the over-under probably was at two and a half and uh, <laughs> three seems like it could po- potentially be appropriate. Uh, the kid's fucking good. I don't know. Like, it, there's not, like, deep analysis that you really need for Jalen Suggs. Like, I don't know. The kid's going to win a bunch of basketball games. He's probably not going to put up the same numbers as some of the guys in front of him. And he's one of those guys that, like like you said, like Davion, like, it's going to be, like, eye test versus, you know, stats and maybe his analytics aren't as good as a guy like Evan Mobley but like maybe he's just fucking better and has it like it leads to more winning despite you know how great a defensive uh war or raptor or whatever fucking acronym we have in five years from now like that he has like I don't know Suggs could just be better and have more of an impact on winning so I feel like the Orlando Magic fans might also have been some of the biggest winners in the draft because mm-hmm. having Suggs fall into their laps rather than like Scotty Barnes, who I really like, thought played really well. But if he ended up in Orlando, 
and was just the next guy to have to play in that front court, that mishmash front court that makes no sense ever. That would have been really sad. And instead, they got Jalen Suggs, who, yeah, is in a quote-unquote crowded uh, backcourt, but all those guys are not nearly the talents uh, that he is. So um, I'll, I'll throw that question, same question over to you, Albert. Mm. What do you think? Dude, I did want to say shouts to you because that's a, that's such a good question. Like when as soon as you asked Nathan, I was like, God damn, that's it's crazy. Um, you know me. I was I I even now like I I like what I saw from Scotty Barnes, but I still wish that the Raptors took Suggs. Just I I really thought that that pairing was going to be a lot of fun, or not that pairing, but that fit was going to be a lot of fun. Um, so I I would say like two teams. I think two, um, just because. No, no, I, I won't go. I won't get too crazy. I was going to say something really controversial. Let me not go that. No, far. do it. Come on, come on, do it. Say it. Oh my god. We all Here know. We go. Since since you mentioned it, we all know where this is going. So you might as well okay. just say it. All right. So I'm going to say two, and the reason why is you know how I feel about Cade. Love Cade. You know how I feel about Jalen Green. Love Jalen Green. The third guy in that mix was always Evan Mobley. Um, Oh, dear God. I'm not trying to say that I think – I know, I know, I know. Hear me out, hear me out. I'm not trying to say that Jalen Suggs is, like, definitely going to be better or anything like that. But there is a world in my mind. This is just my mind. In my mind, what is my mind worth? Not a damn thing, right? Uh, Just in my mind, I'm wondering if there is a world where Jalen Suggs ends up having a better career than Evan Mobley. And so that's just kind of where my mind went. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but that's the reason why I said potentially two teams, just because it, in my brain, there could be a world where Jalen Suggs ends up as the better prospect than Evan Mobley. Once again, I'm not setting that in stone, just kind of my brain is kind of there right now. Look, I, I'm with you. Look, I still have <laughs> Mobley above Suggs right. on my you know post-draft board. Mm-hmm. But I think that and again, summer league, it's a very small sample size, and it could potentially mean nothing. Right. Yep. But I will say, there is not one person, and Nathan, I'm sorry if you did say this as well, anybody who said that Evan Mobley was like a better version of Chris Bosh <laughs> was always out of their goddamn fucking mind. <laughs> Evan Mobley his, and his offense can't hold a fucking candle to Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh was a fucking monster offensive player, and mm-hmm. Evan Mobley is probably going to top out as a third option on a championship-level team. That doesn't mean that Evan Mobley isn't going to be an unbelievably valuable player because he could be anchoring that defense, and what you're looking at is a legitimate third option who's anchoring a defense, which is just probably a better version of Rudy Gobert, and that's a really good fucking player. Mm-hmm. But... His offense, and again, just because he hit one hezzy pull-up does not mean that he's got this crazy bag because Mm -hmm. he also shot 35% and I think way worse than that from three. Like He he shot – he had awful percentages. Um, And to me, if you really watched him, a lot of the things that he couldn't – a lot of the shots he couldn't take or because his offensive game, his bag wasn't advanced enough to get open shots. A lot like Sharif took so long to get, you know, his shot off, you know, in open shot scenarios. Evan Mobley has two dribbles in his bag. He's got two dribbles and his back is turned. 
Go watch any game, and you're not going to get a handful of more clips of him creating an isolation where he's able to take more than two dribbles in a row before he feels the need to turn his back. It's much like when a point guard is being pressured full court mm-hmm. and they just need to protect the ball because they don't have a counter move to the pressure. And that's what Mobley has. Now, Mobley also has the benefit of being a draft on the court. So when he turns his back, <laughs> it could turn into a positive sometimes. But it's not enough for his offense to measure up if Suggs potentially tops out what he could do as a primary initiator who maybe is a guy that could score like 24 points a game along with all the intangibles that could be more valuable than Mobley's great defense and just kind of like background offense. Mobley is going to be unbelievable again. I still have him above Suggs because I think his defense is going to be that special. But if you were telling me that, you know, you're giving me the, like, who's going to regret, you know, passing on Suggs, Uh Cleveland could be one of those teams. And I just think I'll always say comparing his offense to Chris Bosh was always a fucking ludicrous premise. And I'm sorry to anybody listening to this who also thought this. I don't mean to offend you. I feel very passionate about that. I don't know if Mobley's ever going to have a post game. Like, well, that's, that's part of like when people said the name Chris Bosh, like, no, Chris Bosh always had tremendous footwork in the post. He could so get smooth. literally whatever shot he wanted by the basket. He could get it. And Mobley can't Mobley can't do a lot of stuff right now. And I'm going to be really interested to see what draft Twitter looks like in about four months from now when Evan Mobley is not having a good rookie season and everyone who poured the shit all over James Wiseman's plate because <laughs> they didn't like a lot of the stuff they saw from Wiseman. It takes big men so much longer, especially guys who you would eventually imagine as being true fives in the NBA. That position is so hard to play at that level, point guards and centers should always get a little more developmental time and a little more patience than the other two through four on the court. And I, it's not that I don't think Evan Mobley is, is going to, is, isn't going to be a great player. I think he is going to be a good to great player, but it's going to take time because physically he's not ready yet. He has no semblance of a post game. Everything he does is perimeter oriented to a fault because he literally can't get his shot around the basket a lot. Yeah, he averaged 7.7 rebounds a game, but that was because he was literally taller and longer than almost everyone else he was on the court with in summer league. That's not going to be the case on a nightly basis in the NBA, and that's why I said that Cleveland was always going to be Mobley's best fit because he had somebody like Jared Allen who he could play next to who's going to be the five. You kind of have to have Mobley start out as a four given where his offensive and his defensive games are at. Eventually, he I would hope that he develops more physically but yeah like when you talk about how much of a high option he could be on offense no I never saw this first or second option player there's a chance I never really saw that I agree with you Corey I think he's going to be much better at being a compliment to other players helping other players make shots obviously he's going to be a threat to roll he's going to be a threat in transition he can pass he will be able to shoot in time but these are all things I don't know how much volume he's going to be able to handle and and Again, watching these games in Summer League, my biggest question about him was, does he have that killer instinct in him to even be that first or second option when when we get to that point late in games? And I, I still have yet to see that from Evan Mobley, but we know that Jalen Suggs has that in spades. Like That's why I would have never put Mobley in a top tier with, with Cade and, and, and Jalen Green. That That's personally where, where I'm at, and I think we're all in agreement. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think we we all had him third at least on on the yeah. board. So what I got out of that is you're not what uh, talking about Mobley as a true five, which I think we all kind of think he mm-hmm. is. So you're saying you don't love his fit next to Jared Allen for the next five years in the front court together? <laughs> no, I, I, I do. I do love that fit. I think that 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 is I, I don't think he's a five. I'm sorry. I, I don't think he's ever going to be a, a center. I don't think his body's mm-hmm. going to fill out anywhere close to what Anthony Davis's body has filled out to be. Nor do I think that Mobley wants to play the five either. Like, I, I don't know if he's the type of guy that wants somebody tossing him around like a rag doll in the post if he has to play the Embiid's and the Oaks of the world. Like, I don't, I don't know if he wants that smoke, to, to be perfectly honest with you. So, Chris Stapps. Well, mm-hmm. look, I, he's an injury away, like, to, for his lower body mobility. Because, honestly, a lot of his offense is very similar to Porzingis. He's just not the shooter mm-hmm. that he is. Right. You know, like, if you watched his game, a lot of, and especially if you watch a lot of his misses in summer league, it's a lot of those, like, I'm going to fade away from the basket. Like, even though I'm much taller and like, I still need to fade to get the shot off. Cause I don't want to deal with any incidental contact or anything like that. Um, but that's, you know, like, I don't like completely shitting on players. Like, yeah, he's there are still plays he made in Vegas that very like, few big men can, <laughs> right, can do. Right. Like, let's yeah. yeah, let's not completely throw and dirt his, on him. And his passing right showed up in Vegas. Yes. You know, and and that's important. Um, but but also, I did want to say this is like a personal thing. But did you watch any of his interviews? I felt like Nathan, the thing that you mentioned of him like not having like a killer instinct, kind of being a little passive, he, it kind of comes off in his interviews too. He doesn't sound maybe, and of course that could change over time. But he sounded very reserved, very kind of quiet. Um, didn't feel like he had a lot of confidence in himself and maybe that might be a little bit lacking and I think that speaks to some of the concerns that people had about him at USC you know playing with his brother and his dad on the staff or whatever but um I just I just want to say I know it's a side thing and it's not something that we saw on the court but even his interview I was kind of like oh okay this guy's not super confident in himself yet so that could no it's it's ironic because usually guys who are great passers and great initiators on offense are generally like exceptional communicators and i've never felt that evan mobley was an exceptional communicator where you however we feel about you know how relevant that point is to our conversation about his upside but yeah i i I agree with you albert i i really haven't been impressed with any of the a lot of the interview stuff that that i've seen from him i don't know how that's going to, to play into it but yeah, there are definitely things that you can pick up with, with Mobley if you just watch his game close enough, and and they bring up other questions. Mm-hmm. And let's just not forget that he also played a uh, full regulation game without taking a single <laughs> uh, field goal during the regular season. Um, <laughs> however, let's uh, transition away from um, just for the most part shitting on Evan Mobley, who's a terrific young prospect that the Cleveland Cavaliers should be still, still deserve to be taken third overall. So in my opinion, so going to be very good. Uh, Sorry for going on that long about that Cleveland fans. I don't mean, we don't mean to scare you. Um, (laughs) Is there anybody, uh, Nathan, um, who would win the uh, dog ate my homework award? Maybe any player from the draft or returning player who, uh, kind of looked exactly the same or worse maybe didn't do the things that they needed to do to work on their game anything anybody last week uh Killian Hayes we gave that award to he just kind of looked exactly the same maybe even worse because he was afraid to shoot in, in summer league um I'm not sure I have another guy for this award but I'm uh you know if you do could be interesting 
You you don't have another guy other than Killian Hayes? Well, I nobody really came to. I mean, obviously there are, there are guys who. Oh, like, oh, I got one. Oh, I got okay. one. My cool. my my guy, Cole Anthony, okay. has been That's utter dog nice. shit in Las oh, Vegas, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I I don't say that I I don't say that lightly, nor do I want to be malicious about it. But when we're talking about second year players who actually had good rookie seasons generally those are the types of guys like a Peyton Pritchard like a Tyrese Maxey who come to Vegas ready to show out and put the team on their backs and Cole Anthony did virtually none of that up until like the last game one of the games that I actually saw him play live where he had a string of like three to four really good plays where he was making shots and or setting somebody else up for a shot so and, and I'm just sitting there like okay Cole where was this like the the, the rest of the season it, it's really funny because his whole rookie year I was sitting around saying, boy, when this dude's shot starts falling, like he is going to be an absolute menace on the court. Because I thought when you're talking about him from a point guard perspective, I thought a lot of the passing stuff was good in his rookie year. I thought he was developing great pick and roll chemistry with some of the guys that he was playing on that team with. It was sad to see um, Vucevic go in that in that trade just from that standpoint, because him and Cole were really, really developing some solid chemistry. Um, I thought that Cole's defensive intensity of points last year was really good, but I, I saw I saw virtually none of those positives carry over in what I saw in the summer league, and he still wasn't making shots. So I'm just kind of sitting here as somebody who was incredibly high on him last year, and I wanted to to run around the room and get my flowers for the type of rookie season that he had at times. But I'm left sitting here like, man, I hope this is just a bad summer league and that this doesn't carry over into the regular season because we just talked about how much we all love Jalen Suggs. It was telling to me when the Magic sat R.J. Hampton and pulled him out before they pulled out Cole Anthony. That really spoke volumes to me. That's like, uh, Cole, you you better show up once that regular season starts or else you might lose your job. To, to the other guards that we have on the roster. So yeah, he, he, he really shit the bed for me, but I'm, I'm, I'm still hopeful for him. Yeah. I Cole Anthony was a really interesting prospect in that draft to kind of evaluate because it was clear that he like was really polished in a way because the pedigree, all the access that he's had to training um, I think that he was a better passer than he got to, to show because he was in such a horrible context at, at Carolina. But there was always something that I just, I couldn't put my finger on. And it always came back to like, it felt like he was spending too much time with Chris Brickley. Like it felt like there was like, he was just training and doing all of these things that made him almost a little bit mechanical and he just really mm. needed to improve on the feel a little bit more and I'm going to be interested to see how Jalen's playing alongside Jalen Suggs this year if that helps him at all because I think that Suggs might be able to kind of shift some of that take some of the the feel stuff that he needed away and maybe just make let him focus on being you know who he is um because I still think that he could be a good player. And I don't know if that's going to be as a, you know, a guy who comes off the bench and is able to just maybe be like a Patty Mills kind of guy throughout his career, which is incredibly valuable, or if it's going to be a, a long-term starter. But because there's, cer there's certainly something there. But yeah, this that was a good call because this summer league certainly wasn't uh, <laughs> uh, looking good for the prospects of, you know, 
him getting all that much better, but it's summer league. So while it sucks to see him not show out the same way that all the other uh, sophomores seemingly have. Um, yeah. Cole is. Do you guys have any points to make on his jump shot? Cause like, I personally can't figure out how he doesn't hit more jumpers than, than, than he does. Like he has a sweet looking shot. He has almost perfect arc on his shot, but for whatever reason, that ball is just always clanking in and out of the rim and, and it's not falling. Well, to me, he's just never balanced. Mm-hmm. Even when he's spotting up, there's always a natural like lean, lean. To, yep. to the left. Yes. And yes. to me, he needs to just square up and fix that balance on his shot. Now, part of the reason I think he's able to make some of these tough shots is because he's that natural lean kind of allows him to create a little bit, just a little bit of extra separation, maybe an inch or two, whatever it is, that in the NBA, an inch or two, whatever, you know, it ends up being is all the sometimes that's all you have uh so maybe you know the tough shot making stuff maybe that helps in some regard but when he's just like spotting up catch and shoot and he has a ton of room it's just like i just need to see him be more balanced consistently because i feel like he you know he just doesn't get there enough i don't know i could be wrong on that (laughs) No, I was going to say the same thing with the lean thing. Also, I was wondering if you guys have seen anything in his, like, gather on the shot. I was, I, I'm trying to picture his jump shot in my head right now, but I feel like that's something I've thought about in the past. Just throwing that in there. Maybe it's, there's something there. But I, I'm with you guys. I think Cole Anthony, yeah, man. It, it sucks because he's, like, a New York guy. And, like, you know, you know he played in the prep prep circuit out here. So, oh, sorry, not out here. I'm in LA now, but. <laughs> hoping for the best. Heart. Yeah, I know. And Corey, you know what I was thinking? The, you know that that backcourt is crowded, though. Like they still, I was just looking up their roster. They still have Terrence Ross there, RJ Hampton, they're, they're Gary lot, Harris, Gary Harris. There's a lot going on. I know Dwayne Bacon left and you know joined the Superior New York Knicks, but you know there there's there's a lot of pieces there. And I think as you guys mentioned, if Cole doesn't like get his stuff together, I wonder what that's going to look like for him in year two. So. Something to watch. Definitely something to monitor. I would not be married to any of the players in that backcourt outside of Jalen mm-hmm. Suggs if mm-hmm. I was the Magic. Yeah. And I would start looking to put some pieces to build this team more so around kind of lifting Suggs' strengths up rather than just like accumulating random talent when available. Because it could be a good strategy up until a certain point where it becomes apparent that you need to start actually building and a roster that makes sense rather than just, you know, talent acquisition. Uh, There's no need for some of the guys in that front court to still be there either. Like Mm -hmm. you could start moving on. Like we can move off of Mo Bamba or one of Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter, like whoever, like we could start getting guys who are going to fit next to Jonathan Isaac. And so, I don't know. They, they got some, some work to do or they're going to be in just the weirdest position drafting, you know, eighth every year until they make things work. Are they going to be the worst team in the NBA next year? I think that's that's probably a safe bet to make. At least I, I can't think of a team off the top of my head that's going to be worse. Off the, uh, man. Um, <laughs> I'm asking the tough questions on your show. I apologize. Yeah, no. It's, wow. I mean, even everybody in the West is pretty – they all have arguments. I guess it depends on – when Oklahoma City hands the keys over to Poku, mm. who uh, oh my God. is still cutting class right Jeez. now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it looks like they might be. <laughs> it seems like they would be the front runners to, to the, be the worst team. 
the real question is, uh, will Jalen Suggs allow that to happen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many wins is Jalen Suggs worth by himself? I mean, he's the best winner I think they've had since Penny and Shaq, right? <laughs> the best just pure uh, winner, yeah. I mean, T-Mac, T-Mac mm-hmm. didn't Nelson? make it past the, mm-hmm. the first. Yeah. Jameer, Dwight Howard. <laughs> We're forgetting those years. Rashard Lewis, Hito Turkaloo. Um <laughs> Speaking of, uh, you know, Turkaloo and the Turkish people, Sengun. Oh. Oh yeah, still awesome. And uh, Nathan, I know you were, uh, you know, you hopped aboard. There was, there was, it was pretty empty the train. But Josh Christopher, <laughs> kid could play. Oh come on, Houston's got the best. They, 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 they have one of the best lineups that, that we're going to be watching next year from from top to bottom. So many fun young players. I cannot wait to see how these guys all mix and match with one another, like all the Shingun stuff. I don't think he did anything to necessarily sway people from the other side to be more positive on him in summer league. I think you either like him or you don't. The three blocks a game aren't swaying everyone? (laughs) 4.3 stocks? Uh, uh, apparently draft Twitter still technically well, a segment of draft Twitter (laughs) still out on, on on Shankun, but, but even Garuba looked good in certain spurts. I think he actually had a good game today where he had like a game saving block or something like that. The the Draymond line, the Draymond uh, stat line. It was like, you know, eight rebounds, six assists, five blocks, you know, or like just absurd, uh, Mm -hmm. absurd stuff. Josh Christopher playing like he thinks he's still the best player in the draft. (laughs) <laughs> kids kids passing the rock he's at he, he yes. like almost five assists a game in summer yes league. um and defending uh, mm-hmm. and defending yeah. really well actually oh yeah really well yeah yeah kid i like the kid i like his moxie kid's got some moxie yeah, man. all right uh either <laughs> what one an of old you guy think. term Corey. <laughs> <laughs> either one of you have any uh final points you'd like to uh talk about before the uh, ninth period bell rings uh, Nathan you can go first I'll, I'll just say two guys who well one of them was undrafted Ja'Cory McLaughlin I, I I love that guy as a sleeper coming into the draft cycle and I think he did a fantastic job what I saw from him in Golden State being a guy who can score from all three levels can distribute well can kind of just be a leader on the team I think he definitely has a spot in the NBA, whether it's with Golden State or another team. And then the guy who was drafted, drafted way too late. When we talk about, we generally put this guy and Zaire Williams in the same bucket for a lot of the pre-draft process. But Brandon Boston, guys, I think I'd rather have Brandon Boston than than Zaire Williams, to to, to be perfectly honest. And he was drafted in the 50s. I don't think that's too much of a hot take. To be completely mm-hmm. honest, I mean, mm-hmm. they they had very comparable nightmare college seasons. Brandon Boston was always a prospect who was looked at as having a higher ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we've all come back down to earth on what that ceiling actually is, but he had, I think, some more impressive moments in the summer league. And again, it's summer league. It doesn't mean a whole lot. We'll right. see what the context he might maybe this year he gets some run because Kawhi is going to be out for a long time. And maybe, you know, the Clippers are going to have some games where they just go, go to some young guys, but probably another guy spending a lot of time in the G league. Yeah. I I don't think I was ever really out on him as, you know, kind of like a, a early Mm -hmm. second round target for teams just because he had that kind of potential. 
And, uh, you know, I, when we did his episode on the draft act podcast and, you know, we went through all the reasons that he could have struggled. You know, one of the things that Jake Kyle man had, had heard as somebody who was plugged into the Kentucky community was how homesick he was. And, you know, he gets to be a little bit closer to home. So maybe that helps him. And yeah, the kids look, he's had some, some nice moments for, for sure. He loved playing in summer league. And I know you guys wanted to have me on cause, cause I was somebody who was yeah. out there and watching him, get his confidence back and talk some shit. Mm. I love seeing it. I absolutely I like love that. seeing it. Good for Brandon Boston. I'm so happy for him. Hell yeah. Dude, I, I want, sorry, Corey. No, I, I wanted to say the, the thing that we talked about with BJ Boston and Zaire Williams, they were absolutely a car wreck when it, when it came to going to the rim in college, they were terrible attacking the rim. And I thought BJ Boston had some moments in summer league where he showed some functional strength that we didn't see a lot of in college. And he was taking to the rim a little bit. And I thought that was interesting. That was, you know, not bad, not bad. Pretty uh, not bad at all. Yeah. Vegas is very AAU like in summer league. Yeah. You know, a lot of these guys feel comfort levels there. Uh, Albert closing, um, uh, closing remarks. Okay. I'm going to be fast. I'm going to try to be as quick as possible. No one's going to push me off of Kaminga Island. Um, Somebody, somebody called him the cum bucket. Awesome. Awesome name. Great name. <laughs> so imaginative. He's, uh, he, <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's There's the a thing. lot of dick talk on this podcast. I know. I know. We, which it's, it's all Corey's fault. It's all Corey's yeah, fault. Yeah. I take responsibility. <laughs> Some girl yelled that when, when I was sitting in the stand, some girl yelled that when he got a good basket, I think, I think it was actually on one of his dunks. And I was just like, Oh my God, I'm sitting next to these people. <laughs> I'm gonna be. Honest. I I actually think that it was the uh, through the wire podcast who um, came up with it. Who came up shout with it? So shout out, yeah, shout out to, to um, all the, the those guys. Yeah. So I wanted to say, uh, Kaminga, you know, I, he still missed a lot of shots, but you saw the physicality. He is built different, dude. And I had him. I think I ended up Kaminga fourth or fifth on my board and I'm I'm not afraid to say that I'm still really happy with it and I'm excited for his upside I love the look he showed the flashes that we talked about Corey the playmaking stuff he made some nice passes yes he did yes he, he did the playmaking I was like hell yeah like we've been talking about that keep going dude and then um you know he still has the confidence to put up shots go ahead go eight for 22 I'm okay with it brother keep keep doing your thing Keep shooting the shots. Um, I loved it. Even defensively, I thought he showed some stuff. Like, you know, that first possession he had just went to the rim and just yammed it. Love it. Still love it. And, of course, I can't end this pod without mentioning my Knicks. Um, you know, the last time we talked, you know, I, I, was, I was saying I still have my questions about Quentin Grimes as a shooter. I think, you know, I, I like that he shot the ball well to end summer league. I think that's good momentum for him. I still, still believe there's work to do on his jump shot. Um, I still don't like his misses when he's shooting on the way down, but it's okay. You know, he shot it well. And then freaking Deuce McBride went off and yep. was just amazing and so beautiful. And like we said, you know, he was just built in a lab for Tibbs. And he just played unbelievably well. And I was really happy. And in terms of like, you know, dog eating or homework, I, I know like he didn't really have control over it, but you know, Kevin Knox in year four or yeah, it's supposed to be year four, you know, he was going to play in summer league and it's too bad that he missed out on summer league because this Knicks team was a lot of fun. And even Obi Toppin, who I wasn't always the highest on, I, I thought Toppin had a great summer league. I thought he was able to do a lot of things that he just didn't have the freedom to do in his rookie season. And then quickly point quickly, you know, had a bunch of assists and, I'm I'm just happy as a Nick fan, man. I, I think we we've nailed the last two drafts. Even uh, Yokobitis had some moments, dude, and he he got to flash some stuff. So 
overall, I'm happy with that. And I just really wanted to mention Kaminga because I'm still really high. He still, he still has the ugliest shot, man. I'm sorry. That shot is that shot's even uglier in person. But he he, he had a great summer league, though. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that, man. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think that's gonna do it. We went 90 minutes uh for uh for this Legend. class session. And um I I truly thank Nathan for spending all that time with us. It's a a, a joy anytime we get to link up. So uh Nathan, please let the people know where they can find you and listen to you um, and enjoy your expertise. No, I, I appreciate you guys for, for wanting to have me back. I love that everything you guys do with the podcast, I share your stuff all the time. You two are some of the best that are doing it right now. Um, if you want to listen to more of me in case my, my rambling on this podcast hasn't gone on for, for too long, the whole 90 minutes is probably my fault. I, I just can't stop talking sometimes, but you can follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. You can subscribe to my show, the Draft Deeper Podcast, wherever you get it, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. I got the content cranking back up. You guys are going to be coming on my show very soon. We're going to do some Pacific Division draft grades. So Albert's going to get to have a, a 20 to 30-minute rant about Jonathan Kaminga on my <laughs> podcast. So I can't wait for it. But yeah, seriously, thank you guys for having me on. We uh, we can't wait to, uh, to hop on again. It was a lot of fun the first time. Um, and uh, I feel like it was an apt discussion if you, you know, for whoever wants to go back because we talked about the G League guys and included mm. in that was uh, Isaiah Todd, who we all said, you know, was a really good prospect. And uh, I, I think that, um, you know, he first pick uh, right of the second round. And mm-hmm. I think he went to a good spot. Who He's going to he's going to be a good player. Um, Albert, where can the Internet find you? Uh, you can find me at Alberto Gim is still my handle for Instagram and Twitter. That's where you'll find me. And then really quickly, Nathan, just want to appreciate you again for having us on. Um, guys, please check out Draft Deeper. Um, great name, Draft Deeper. Make sure you check him out. And Nathan, you're you're always awesome to us, whether it's on Twitter or on the pod. So really, really appreciate you for joining us once again. And that's where you'll find me on the internet. Yes, Nathan's podcast is a must listen um definitely one of the best doing it one of the you know best dudes in the draft community so you must subscribe and not only subscribe but you have to rate his podcast Mm -hmm. and leave a review okay so that is a direct order from uh the principal (laughs) of summer school um and uh with that said you could find me on the internet at the hardwood mag twitter instagram um you can find the magazine links on the twitter everything else uh the youtube just uh released the first video of the 2022 cycle on the youtube the hardwood herald uh i decided since i really don't know any of the top guys games all that well yet that i just watched their high school mixtapes and ranked them based strictly on their mixtapes like Mm. so many people who follow the draft do so I decided to do that, and uh, Ooh, I'm gonna tweet. Mm. I'm gonna match. I'm gonna match that up at the end of uh, my my prospect watching to see how close I got um, at the end of the process. So uh, go check that out, and uh, I, I I hope it's gonna be tomorrow. We'll see if I finish because mm-hmm. I'm going golfing. But I'm I'm gonna release a Substack, and I got an article oh. coming out. Uh, uh-huh. on on Davian Mitchell. One of the things I want to do this year is more writing. Um, mm. Same, man. Same. So, 
So that's going to be coming out at least in the next two days. Maybe Davion Mitchell will be a champion. Maybe he'll have just led them to the title. And Peyton Pritchard will be the champion. We'll see. But it's going to be a really fun article on him. So with that said, just as you are all doing right this minute with Nathan's podcast, you must subscribe, rate, review, share, all the good stuff, this podcast as well. That would be super fucking dope if you did that. And we are going to be back next week and the week after, the week after that, to infinity and beyond. Uh, Until then, we will see you guys later. We out. Peace. Come back in. (laughs) 